0: So this morning, we've been in the book of Matthew for like something like 15 weeks or something. I'm, gonna, I'm hitting the pause button on Matthew for at least this week and next week. Maybe, depending on how it goes, maybe a third week. We'll see what happens. I just have a set of things I want to talk about, and however long it takes, that's, that's how long it'll be, right? And the, the reason for that is... I think we are experiencing right now the biggest shift in our ecclesiology, which is how we do church, that we have seen in our lifetime. Or we'll see. And you're living in a historical moment right now. It may feel like it's happening very slowly because you're in it. It's like a watch pot never, never boils. When you're in the middle of a thing, you tend not to be aware that you're experiencing a tectonic shift, but maybe, I think maybe most of us are aware that something is different. And so we want to, you know, we've been talking as an elder team, and one of the, just kind of like, what do we do? How do we respond? And uh, one of our elders in our recent meeting said something I thought was profound, and he just said, Sunday morning is broken, and God broke it. So you let us maybe you already know this, but I'm saying it out loud. Sunday mornings broke. Now it's not destroyed. It's not on the trash heap, but it can no longer do for us what it used to do for us, and we're feeling the loss of that. The 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 disorientation of that. It reminds me of. Um, author Alan Hirsch just said something recently, a, a metaphor, which I thought was really apt for this moment, which is some chess players, when they learn to play chess, they'll take their most powerful piece on the board, the queen, they'll take it off the board and learn to play the game expertly without the queen. And then when they add the queen back onto the board, it's it's they know how to play the game and they all just depend on the queen. And that is, that's what God has done to the church is he has taken the queen off the board. And we had to figure out how, what it looks like to be the church and do all the stuff that the church is and be all the things that the church is without depending on the queen, which is the Sunday morning gathering. And I believe those churches that continue to try to crowbar church life into Sunday morning are going to in struggle more and more and more and more. And those of us who are able to adapt and shift our thinking will do great. This will be an incredibly fruitful time. I'm actually excited. So when that phrase came up in our elders meeting, I just sat up and was like, that's from God. And it's liberating when you, if you let it be, right? So I'm not saying we're throwing Sunday morning out and we're just going to not do that anymore. But the idea that when we say Let's, I'm going to church and what we mean is I'm going to a Sunday morning meeting, that idea has been crippled. It's been hobbled by God. And So what I want to do is just talk through over the next couple of weeks, one, just what is the church Because this reminds me a little bit of like premarital counseling or when you give someone advice about kids before they have kids. And it's like, yeah, yeah, I know I should discipline my kids. And yeah, yeah, I know I should communicate with my wife and do these different things. But then once you get married or once you have kids, suddenly all the things that you used to hear and took for granted is like just sort of everybody knows that all of a sudden it kind of matters. Like when you're in the middle of an argument and you remember, hopefully you remember what your pastor told you right before you got married, it actually suddenly seems like, wow, this is like the most life-giving thing I've ever heard in my life. Because now it's relevant. And so I think there's some things we need to kind of go back to about basic stuff about what the church is and establish that in our hearts again. And I think if I'm wrong, it'll just be really boring for a week. All right. But if I'm right, we'll go, oh, wait a minute. This is kind of like last year, this, you said this and I was like, yeah, that's pretty good. And now I'm like, well, this, this is yeah, really from God, right? So that's what I'm thinking is going to happen. And then we'll talk about some specifics that I think God has given us to start doing. Now, I, let me just say, I, God does not give me five-year plans. It's just not, I don't, maybe there's, maybe no one can do that right now, but That's certainly not the way I work. It's not the way our elder team works. I'm not going to lay out for you. Here is what we're going to do. Step one, step two, step three. And everything's going to be just fine. Because we have a plan. That is not how this is going to work. As we walk in the light that God gives us, to quote Heather's dad, Ben Cox, all you can do is walk in the light that God gives you, which is generally speaking in my life, is the next step. There might be a cliff after that, or there might be another step. All I know is the light is shining right in front. That's how this is going to be. Okay? That's what this kind of thing is like. So I don't want to set wrong expectations, but I do think God has given us some clear vision. All right? So we're going to talk about it. All right, so let's start with Matthew 16, verses 13 to 20. I want to just start with just what is the authority of the church? It's pretty incredible when you actually look at what the Bible tells us. It says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, good old Peter, he's always the first to answer. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Check this out, verse 19. It's amazing if you think about it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. So Jesus is not just speaking to Peter. Here he's speaking through Peter to the church. I'll prove it to you in the next verse. Matthew 18, 18 to 20. This is later. He says, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He's quoting himself. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am, am I among them. I can't think of a greater authority than that. This is an incredible statement, investing immeasurable authority in the church. And in this case, in Matthew 18, he's talking about church discipline. That when the church gathers together, they have the authority in the name of Jesus to remove someone from the church. That's a heavy authority. He says, were you two or more? How many does it take? More than one. (laughs) Right? More than one. Two or more gathered in his name in agreement that's amazing so no other person or institution is given this authority on earth you need to hear that there's no other group of people There's no other person that has this kind of authority on the planet. No government, no philosophy, no king, no ruler, no celebrity, no pastor, no prophet, no teacher, no evangelist, no apostle. No man by himself has this authority. It's the church and the church alone that has it. No matter how much influence a person has, he or she does not have this kind of authority. Of authority. It simply does not exist anywhere else but the church. We are it. The church, the body of Christ, is the hope of the world and it is the only hope of the world. God has invested and only invested this authority in us. The stakes are really high. So when the church forgets herself, and refuses to be the church she deprives the world of this incredible gift of this authority this is why i say that the church is the hope of the world no matter how messy she may look she is the last best hope of the world and trying to change the world in any kind of eternal way is hopeless without her so all the things you look at in the world that are broken and you go like god when when will you send an answer you're it Look around. This is as good as it gets. God has invested himself in you, given you his very name, his very authority to speak and to carry his authority in the world. That's what we are. I'd say that's more than a meeting on Sunday. It's not less than, but it's more than that. I'm going to say that a lot it's more than not less than note that this is where two or more gather and agree those two things i think that's really important this all this authority is not invested in one solo individual it's also not invested in the most talented or most visible individual like this guy it's us us from the strongest to the weakest from the prettiest to the ugliest, from the most talented to the least talented, from the most mature to the most immature, every single believer is included in the us. This authority is not invested in one solo individual. So this idea of gathering, the gathering and the agreement of the church is central to the identity, the power, and the mission of the church. Gatherings, for example, is central to the identity of the church. You cannot separate gathering from church. The word church means gathering. It's It's in what we call it. So yes, the church is more than a gathering. You are the church when you're by yourself. But if you remove gathering from the word church, you no longer have church. And those gatherings can take on many sizes and forms, but it is never less than a gathering. The church is never, ever, 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 ever less than gathering together. So to tell the church it cannot gather is to tell the church it cannot be the church. You need to hear that. It's non-optional. Like I said, it can be different shapes, different sizes, different forms, different ways of doing it. But we must gather, and to not gather is to not be the church. This is something, for, just to be clear, that our government will never understand. It does not understand that gathering is central to who we are. Well, can't you just do this online? It ain't the same. You know why it's not the same? Because you're not gathered. That's why it's not the same. And to talk or conceive of the church in ways that minimize the importance of gathering is to minimize the church itself. This has been true forever. It's not like I'm saying anything new. But I feel like this feels more important now than it used to. (laughs) Right? You can't be a virtual Christian. You can't be a virtual church. There is no such thing. And there's no such thing as separating the word church or the idea of church from the idea of gathering together. You also has the idea of agreement, right? So we gather and we agree. He says, when you gather together in my name, more than one of you, and agree together, that's where the authority is. So our unity is tied to our authority also. There's gathering and there's unity. If we agree on what we are binding and or loosing, then the authority is there. I don't think this implies agreement on everything, but I think it implies a kind of unity on the important things. The central things. So that's one brick in the wall, right? The authority of the church, which is tied to the gathering of the church and the agreement of the church, okay? So what is the church? What's the nature of it? I'm going to talk about three metaphors. Probably won't get through all of them today. Um, the temple, the body, and the family. The three metaphors for the church. Let's talk about the temple. 1 Peter 2, 1 through 11. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. (laughs) Who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, (laughs) but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. So look at what Peter is saying that you are. It's absolutely incredible. You're living stones put together in a temple. You're the house of God. You know what that means? You're the house that God lives in. You're the temple in which he dwells. Not all by your lonesome. Look at the picture here. You're just a stone. You're not the whole thing. You 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 by yourself are not the house of God. It's you together are the house of God. Stones physically connected to other stones make a wall. And in that house, in that temple is where God dwells in his manifested, seen, experienced presence. And the cornerstone of course is Jesus Christ. He's the one that makes it plumb and true. He's the builder and he's the foundation. He's the cornerstone. You are chosen and precious. Each one of us is a priest, a royal priesthood. When you get up in the morning, you look in the mirror, you should say, You're a royal priest. By the way, I am not the high priest. Who's the high priest? Jesus. So it's not like you're all priests and royalty and I am the great high priest because I get paid. I'm a priest. You're a priest. We're all priests. Jesus is the great high priest and we are doing the ministry of the priesthood in this temple built out of living stones where the spirit dwells. No one else gets to be the temple. Nobody else. I don't know if you noticed, but the Republican Party is not the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's good news, because Republicans barely get a vote now. So Peter's drawing a picture for us that tells us what and who we are. Each of us is that living stone. And then he he concludes by saying, you know, act like it. All the stuff he says about, you know, don't sin. Don't don't be jealous of each other. Don't don't argue with each other. Don't be sinful, right? All that's based on this idea that you're the temple. He's just saying act like what you are. You're royalty. So act like it. And so this unity thing is tied to who we are. We're in agreement because, wow, we're, we're, the, we're the wall. We're the temple. Acts 2, 1 through 4. I think this, to me, it, you should always read those verses before you go to Acts chapter 2. Because it, this is what happened in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, let's, let's read it. Acts 2, 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so from this point forward, we see the Holy Spirit taking up residence in his people and not in the physical temple. This is what this moment meant. It wasn't just for those people sitting in that room. It was the Holy Spirit coming to the church, all of the church. So this already established living stone temple is now inhabited by God's presence. If you look back when the first temple was built, you see the Holy Spirit coming like a mist into the temple. They built it and then God moved in. And Jesus comes, and he builds this temple, the church. And he leaves, and the Holy Spirit moves in. Paul picks up this theme from Peter, 1 Corinthians 3, 16 to 17. He says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. (laughs) For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Every you in that sentence is plural. You all, 'all. y'all. Y'all are the temple of the Holy Spirit and you're holy. Don't mess with something that's holy. Don't you mess with the residence of God. What makes you holy? Not your awesomeness. I'm the best stone in this wall you've ever seen. Congratulations. No one noticed. All they see is what's in the temple. Not, nobody goes, wow, look at that impressive stone in the wall. Look at that. We got a bunch of bricks in the wall. There's not one where I'm like, that one's the best one. It went to seminary. It's a little bit shinier than all the other ones. That's not how this works. We're inhabited, and what makes us special is what's in us, not us. You're the temple, God's home. That is the definition of sacred, set apart for God. The church, the collection of all saints over all time is sacred and holy. This is not just a nice group you're a part of because the sense of community you get here. It's not just this nice group you're—it's not just a nice meeting that you attend— on Sunday mornings because you like the way Josh sings or you like the way I preach or some other thing that you like. I like the people I sit near or whatever it is that sort of makes you come. That's not what this is. It's not less than that, but it's way more than that. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We have been set apart for his habitation. It is the holy habitation of God himself and is as much a holy site as any temple has ever been, including the temple that Solomon built. If you had walked into the temple that Solomon built with all the gold and the brass and the the, the in smell of incense and the activity, you would have been, your jaw would have dropped. How just immaculate, immaculate impressive and big it was And the feet that it took and all the work that it took and all the all the all the craftsmanship that went into it, your jaw would have dropped, like, this is a holy site. You are more holy than that. If they rebuild the temple tomorrow, it will be just a building. Because God won't move in. Because he already has a house and has you. It's amazing. I'm not trying to give you a big head. I'm just trying to help you see what you are. So Jesus' words in Matthew 18 that I referenced a minute ago tie this whole concept together with a nice bow. Where two or more are gathered, there I am among them. God's presence is available to us all the time. Of course, yes, you can be by yourself, in your car, driving down the road, and God is with you, and you're full of the Holy Spirit. But it is not the same thing as when you are gathered together, even with just one other Christian. The most common way that God's presence is made real to us is through the physical presence of another believer. God, I just need you with me. I need to feel your presence. Call somebody. I mean, pray for it, but call somebody. You can have the presence of the Holy Spirit around you any time in another believer. All you got to do is call them up on the phone. Can we have coffee? And when they walk in the door, the presence of Christ just walked in the door. Why? Not because they're the best brick in the wall, but because now two or more are gathered and they have the Spirit of Christ in them. And when they walk in the room, God has walked in the room with them because he promised to do it. So when you call a friend to come over to your house, you're not calling a mere mortal. You're calling in the authority of Christ into your presence by calling them. It's not a small thing. That's why I just, I'm so passionate about fellowship, because it's not a small thing you know, you be, be laughing and eating hot dogs or whatever it is you're doing. Telling stupid jokes. Just having a good time. But you've gathered and you're in agreement. It's amazing. This is how the presence of Christ is uh, ministered to each other is by us ministering to each other. Again, I'm not saying you can't, sit by yourself and ask the Holy Spirit to minister to you, that's a great thing to do. But do that while you just go take advantage of what he's already promised you, right? So this is true when we are gathered together on the Lord's Day in this moment right now. It's what makes this moment special. But it's also true anytime we gather on any other day. Being the presence of Christ to each other is about more than a Sunday morning experience, but it's not less than that. So, one thing is for sure in 2021, we cannot depend on the Sunday morning gathering to fulfill our call to be the physical presence of Christ to each other. It will not do for us what it used to do for us. And if you're frustrated with a Sunday morning experience, welcome to the club. There is not one person, including me, who's like, this is the best. I think we should keep it this way. I think this is great. I'd rather sit and watch my phone instead of being around other people. This is less than optimal. It's a gift. What we can do is a gift. I'm not trying to be super negative, but I'm just trying to acknowledge the reality and say what everybody's thinking. All right? We can't depend on it to do what it used to do. It may yet be a part of the equation, but it cannot be all of that anymore. The old expressions of church that we have relied upon for decades are changing. I don't know how they're changing exactly. I have some thoughts about how they're changing, but I don't know what it's all going to become in the end. But it ain't going to be what it used to be. So if you continue to depend on the Sunday morning gathering for your connection to the body of Christ, you're going to be in trouble. You need to hear that. If you continue to try to make crowbar the Sunday mor- the, the crippled thing that God has crippled and make it do what it used to do, make it walk straight and do everything it used to do and be what you want it to be, if you keep thinking that way, you're going to get yourself in trouble. If you continue to depend on other people to connect you instead of you connecting you, you're going to be in trouble. So I have some questions. What are your gifts and talents? you ever thought about it? Maybe it's time you think about it because <laughs> once you get clear about that it starts to lead you in a direction when you say oh i'm I really I'm really gifted in with hospitality. I, I got a lot to learn yeah, but there, I, I just really like having people in my home and I like making them feel comfortable, and I like seeing other people connect with each other in my home. It's really exciting, and I love doing that kind of thing, and, 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 and maybe, maybe you've got like a prophetic gift, or maybe you've got an evangelistic gift, and you start thinking about that. That leads you somewhere, and what it does is it leads you out of your space. It leads you out of seclusion, and it leads you into being the presence of Christ to other people. That's where it takes you, Next question, what will be your contribution to the kingdom of God in this critical time in history? When all of us are old, some of us have a head start on others, but when all of us are old, that will be the question that will haunt you, is what was my contribution to the kingdom of God, especially in the critical moment in history that I lived through? or did I sit in my house watching YouTube and just waiting for it to blow over? That will be the thing that you ask. It will not be like, wow, did I make enough money? Did I do this? Did I do that? Did I survive? Who cares if you survived? What's it for, right? What's your contribution? These are questions everybody has to ask, not just me. And I can't ask it for you. Third question, what aspects of your spiritual life are you outsourcing to other people that you should be doing yourself? That's why I love this group that Heather's starting up, because it's about you learning to engage with the Word of God yourself and developing those habits and becoming mature and strong in that area of your life so that you are not outsourcing that to someone else. And so then whatever I'm doing from the pulpit is like the spice of... on on the roast. It's not the roast. Right? I'm just spicing it. I'm helping you instead of being that source for you. Don't outsource it. What needs to change in your thinking, your attitude, and your lifestyle in order for you to become a source of strength for others in the church instead of someone who needs other people to be strong for them? How can you flip that dynamic around. I think it's really easy for us to get used to whatever maturity level we have and kind of go, I'm just going to stay here. I'm mature enough. I've I've dealt with my anger problem enough, or I've dealt with this enough, or I understand the Bible enough, or I'm okay, I, I pray for other people enough. And we just get kind of comfortable where we are and we don't push. And God is pushing all of us to get to the point where you can stand on your own two feet and become that person that you wish was in your life. You become that person that you wish would call you up and pray for you. And you become the person that calls them up and prays for them. You become the person that sits down and helps them understand the Bible instead of you shrugging your shoulders and going, oh, well, I'll never understand this. And we flip that way of life that way of thinking maybe that needs to change for you all right i'm out of time i'm full like a tick on a hound as heather's dad would say i want to go for another hour i can go for another hour next week all right why don't we stand up together and pray and i'm gonna i just want to ask you to think about those questions this week There will not be a test next week. I'm not going to be like, all right, turn in your papers. I need a list of your gifts and all the things that you're sorry about. (laughs) But I think all of us got to start thinking this way. And then God's going to point us in a direction. Amen. So let's pray. God, I just ask you right now to establish these foundational things in our hearts about what the church is. God, the, the immeasurable authority you have given granted to us is hard to get our heads around, that you would choose us as your holy habitation, that you would take up residence among these people, that each one of us is a royal priest ministering to you and ministering to each other and declaring to the world the good news. God, help us to see it and internalize that in this season. God, thank you for taking the queen off the board for a little while and teaching us how to play the game better. God, I pray in this time that nobody would get shaken loose, but God, that we would become people who adapt to what you're doing in this moment, every one of us, nobody, we would lose no one to the world, God, that no one would give up hope, but instead that you would fill us all with clear vision about who you've called us to be. And God, as we sang this morning, God, we lay ourselves down. God, I agree with Josh's prayer that submission to you is the greatest freedom we could have. That's the best life. And so God we just lay ourselves down at your feet and we say yes to you, whatever you call us to do, wherever you call us to go. God, wherever you lead us, whether it be into the desert or into fruitfulness, God, wherever you lead us, we'll go. We submit our lives to you completely. God, I know me and our elder team are exactly in that place right now before you. God, this church belongs to you. What we do with it belongs to you. Our plans belong to you. Everything we have, everything we think, everything we believe, all of our opinions, we lay them down at your feet right now. We ask you to shape us as a church into what you'd have us to be. In the name of Jesus, amen. Love you guys. Have a blessed week. See you next time.